0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Thinking of gardening a bit differently using bales of straw? Straw bales, they have several gardening advantages, including you get to work in your garden while standing up. Straw bales can be located wherever you have a sunny spot for sun-loving vegetables, and they can last if you follow a few important steps. Also, have you heard about the Yezberry? It looks like an elongated blueberry. It combines the flavor of both blueberries and raspberries. It's also known as the blue honeysuckle or the honeyberry, and it can be productive if you live in the right zones. And for a change, the right zones do not include most of the Sunbelt. It's all on episode 128 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast, brought to you today by SmartPots, and we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Straw bale gardening. It started as a fad, but it's here to stay. A lot of good reasons for growing in a straw bale. There's less labor involved. The raised height means no kneeling, no stooping. There's very little, if any, weeding involved. It extends your growing seasons. It holds moisture well, which means less watering for you. No soil-borne diseases or pests. Minimal tools are required. And maybe best of all, you can put that straw bale wherever that sunny spot may be in your yard. So how about some straw bale garden basics? Back in May of 2019, I chatted with Sacramento County Master Gardener Gail Potthauer, who's had a lot of experience growing vegetables in straw bales. That's a beautiful day here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center where they're doing a little experimentation planting vegetables in bales of straw. Not bales of hay, but bales of straw. Master Gardener Gail Pothauer is with us, and uh, she's in charge of this little project. And Gail, you've you've experimented with planting in straw bales before, and how did that turn out? It was with uh, sweet potatoes.
1: Right, we did sweet potatoes last year. We did two varieties. One was Beauregard, the other was Nancy Hall. And interestingly enough, Nancy Hall is a white um, sweet potato. On the slow food arc of taste, it was the most prominent sweet potato in the South until Beauregard beat it out. So we thought we'd try both of them. We had a great crop. I think we had about sixty pounds of sweet potatoes we harvested, including one that was given the name of Taterzilla because it was ten and a half pounds. Whoa! Yeah, it was. It was great. We had a super uh, sweet potato harvest.
0: When did you plant those?
1: Oh, golly! Um, I believe it was in May. Um, usually we get our straw bale demonstration going in may after it's warmed up so i would say may and we did our harvesting in september i believe
0: sweet potatoes love the warmer temperatures do straw bales uh, cooperate in that regard do they warm up faster than soil
1: they do Um, and also because we have to condition the straw bales which means you add fertilizer in order for the um, the inside of the bales to decompose and make compost that action heats up so if you've ever made a compost pile you know how it heats up and then it cools down so we have learned that after our 17-day conditioning process the straw bales heat up to about 120 degrees and then they drop so it's it's okay to plant now it's warmed up i mean it's cooled down to about 85 degrees or so and it is warmer on the inside than the outside temperature
0: are you using a slow release or a quick release fertilizer
1: It's slow release because it's organic. One year we tried a high nitrogen lawn fertilizer, which is really quick, and the conditioning schedule is a lot shorter with that, but we use organic, so blood meal, fish meal, things like that. And it doesn't heat up quite as quickly, but it does heat up and it smells to high heaven. It stinks.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This year now you're experimented with what looks like to be some very thirsty crops here. You have them lined up ready to go in the bale Mm -hmm. and they're all America selections uh, winners of a lot of the members of the Kirkabit family. You've got cucumbers and watermelon here. How do you keep them hydrated?
1: the straw bales actually don't dry out. As long as you keep the bales under compression, they tend to hold water really well. And we noticed that as the season progresses, the straw bales start to shrink because they're making compost inside, so they're shrinking. So we keep the strings on the side tight. Uh, we've tried a number of ways to do that using tie down straps or just retying the strings. This year, we're doing a tourniquet where you stick in a little piece of wood in the strings and you twist it like you would a tourniquet and it keeps the strings taut. And as long as the bales haven't loosened, they stay moist inside. We do have an irrigation system here that is hooked up to our wine barrels. So we're on the same irrigation and it comes on every day for five minutes, and which is sufficient. We do use shrubblers, which is a little sprayer rather than a drip.
0: And these are 360-degree shrubblers, it looks like, that it send out little fingers of right. water. There's like eight streams that come out. That's correct. And you have that coming on, you say, five minutes every day?
1: Mm-hmm. Just because that's the schedule we're on for our wine barrels.
0: Do you have to adjust that as the heat picks up in the summertime?
1: Nope. We keep it five minutes every day
0: all right that's a good tip for all of you growing vegetables in containers if you've got some good soil or or good straw then five minutes on a shrubler should do the trick
1: yeah if it was on a drip that wouldn't be sufficient it w- wouldn't soak in enough but the shrubblers work great
0: shrubblers put out about eight to twelve gallons per hour whereas a emitter could be a half gallon one gallon or two gallon
1: and just one thing i want to mention you asked about do they dry out um I know of someone who planted tomatoes in them up in the Corning area, which is hotter than we are, went a whole month without um, watering them on vacation or whatever, and they did just fine. So as long as those the bales are under compression, they haven't loosened up, they stay moist.
0: Now, I've noticed that you do have a trellis system installed in the back. You've got T-posts installed in the back Mm -hmm. and then field fencing going across. And I imagine you're going to be trellising the cucumbers. What about the watermelon?
1: Same thing. The watermelon, uh, this is a mini watermelon, so we'll sling it like we do our other melons. But we like to grow them up, get them up off the the ground. You don't have so much problem with the fruit rotting by sitting on the ground, better air circulation. And so we're going to give the watermelons a shot this year. Let's
0: talk a little bit about the varieties you've chosen. You've got, uh, the, uh, as I mentioned, they're all America selection varieties and one is called pick a bushel and it's a hybrid. It's an F1 hybrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other cucumber is a diva. You have a Parisian gherkin And uh, those three uh, come highly recommended, do they?
1: They do. And the Parisian gherkin and the pick-a-bushel are great for pickling. They're that that type of a cucumber, but you can also eat them fresh. Diva is definitely a slicing cucumber, you know, the typical cucumber. And they're going to be trellised up, up our field fencing.
0: Including the uh, mini love watermelon. Yeah,
1: they're supposed to be small one to two pound watermelons. Have not tried them before. It'll be fun. And as I mentioned, we will sling them as the fruit forms. We'll use old strips of t-shirt or something that stretches and tie them to the field fencing to give them some support.
0: All right. I guess the green uh, tree tape that's tied on here is just to warn people there's a fence here. Don't walk into it. Exactly.
1: Especially when we at the end of the season last year we had those straw bales out. Mm -hmm. We had field fencing that was just up. And so we did that as a warning. Don't walk into it.
0: With straw bales, do you have to fertilize them consistently through the season or is that initial fertilization enough?
1: It isn't enough. Um, In fact, you do need to get fertilizer in the straw bales initially or plants planted directly in just regular straw will die there's no nutrients so once the conditioning process is done you've made compost inside it continues to make compost through the season but it's not enough so about every two weeks or so we'll give them a a drench with a diluted fish emulsion and kelp Mm -hmm.
0: all right if people want more information about straw bale gardens there are some excellent references available Uh, you have uh, handouts produced by the sacramento county master gardeners and there's a good book available too
1: right the author is joel karsten in fact he's the thing that got us started i heard him on your show in 2013 and we thought well that sounds like a fun project so i bought his book the straw bale gardens and he has since come out with two others Um, he's added some information about getting organic straw and things like that. So, yeah, he's got three great books out.
0: And if you visit the Sacramento County Master Gardener website, you can probably find their release on straw bale gardening.
1: Garden Note 160.
0: (laughs) And you can probably just do an Internet search uh, for the notes on straw bale gardening. Just type in Sacramento County Master Gardeners and Garden Note GN 160. And that information about straw bale gardening should pop right up.
1: That's right, or go to our website. There's also a button for publications. If you click on that, all the garden notes will be listed.
0: And check out the Sacramento County Master Gardener Facebook page as well. Here in the vegetable section with Gail Pothauer. Thanks, Gail.
1: You're welcome, Fred. It was fun.
0: You've heard me talk about Smart Pots, the award winning fabric planter here on the Garden Basics podcast. They're durable and reusable. I've been using mine for five years now, and once again, they're being pressed into service in my yard. I have this problem I, I grow too many tomatoes for the amount of allotted sunny space I have for them. So those extra tomato plants go into the Smart Pots. I place them in scattered areas around the yard where I know they'll get enough sun which is a premium in my yard and even 5 years later I can pick up those smart pots plant and all and move them around without fear of the smart pot tearing or ripping. Smart pots breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants and smart pots come in a wide variety of sizes and colors. Visit smartpots.com/fred for more information about the complete line of smart pots lightweight fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts where you can buy Smart Pots at Amazon. Okay, now I understand maybe you want to see the Smart Pots before you buy them. That's not a problem. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value stores nationwide. To find a store near you, visit SmartPots.com/slash Fred. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast has a lot of information posted at each episode. Transcripts, links to any products or books mentioned during the show, and other helpful links for even more information. Plus, you can listen to just the portions of the show that interest you. It's been divided into easily accessible chapters. And you're going to find more information about how to get in touch with us. You can leave an audio question without making a phone call. You do it via SpeakPipe. Go to speakpipe.com slash Garden Basics. It's easy. Give it a try. If you're listening to us via Apple Podcasts, put your question in the ratings and review section. You can text us questions and pictures or leave us your question at 916-292-8964. That's 916 916- 292 And you can email us, fred at farmerfred.com. And please tell us where you're from because that'll help us greatly accurately answer your garden questions. Because after all, all gardening is local. In the show notes, you'll find links to all our social media outlets. That includes Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, you'll find a link to the farmerfred.com website. And thanks for listening. like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast, we bring in our favorite retired college horticultural professor, Debbie Flower, to help us answer questions. Debbie, I know you like to try new plants.
2: Yeah, always, always trying new things. Yeah, you know, you maybe get a cutting or
0: plant something from seed. I found at uh, the nursery last week a new uh, sunflower variety that that I've never heard of before, and I bought a packet of it. It's called... Paquito, Colorado, that supposedly only gets like three feet, four feet tall. Right.
2: Paquito is small in Spanish. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know what else was small? The seed itself? The number of seeds in the oh. packet. Oh, it's a brand new. Brand new things often are very expensive.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't mind spending, you know, $1.99 or ninety nine or two ninety nine for a packet of seeds. But when there's only four seeds oh, in the packet and only three of them germinated. Oh, boy. It would be nice if these seed packagers would, besides putting the weight on, maybe put in the number of seeds Mm -hmm. that might be in the packet. Because it did have the weight on it. It was like 4
2: mg, which is. Milligrams. Yeah, milligrams. Oh my. An ounce is 25 grams. 28 grams in an ounce. So, <laughs> so less, way less than one ounce. Boy, the paper was probably way heavier than the seeds themselves. It was. I actually
0: did. I weighed the <laughs> container, and the container did weigh more than the seeds. And, you know, I, I looked at 4MG, and I thought, okay, that's like, I don't know. <laughs> and I just right. came home. And then opened up the package, and there's four seeds. Hmm. 50 cents a seed. Mm-hmm. And only three of which. When germinated. only three
2: come up. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. All right. I'm done complaining. But so anyway... Pay attention to that. If Mm -hmm. you buy seed packets Mm -hmm. is uh, they have to have the weight on it.
2: Right. Often when you order them in the mail, they tell you approximately how many seeds. It depends on who you're buying from. Right. But that is something that you sometimes get more information about by uh, ordering uh, through a catalog or online. The other thing that I've taken to and when
0: I buy seeds online is if they don't have the date on the packet, I will put the date I planted on the packet, so Mm -hmm. I know which year they're from, Mm -hmm. because there's nothing worse than rummaging through all your seed packets and finding one and wondering if it's good or not, because there's no date on it.
2: Right. By law, they have to be packaged for the year that you are planting them in order for them to sell them at full price. If you're buying seeds at less than full price, a discount price, it can be from any year. But that full price means that the germination will be good during the year that is stamped on the package. Something else to complain
0: about then. All those people who don't put the dates (laughs) on there. Yes. All right. All right. Okay. Get off your soapbox, Fred. Let's do something here. Let's answer a question uh, that you have sent in. There are several ways you can send us questions. You can, of course, email them in to fred at farmerfred.com. You can call us at 916-292-8964. You can also text us at that number. 916-292-8964. 916-292-8964. And you can go to speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics and yell at your computer with a question there. It's easy. Give it a try. Speakpipe.com slash gardenbasics. Uh, Connie uh, sent us an email uh, to Fred at farmerfred.com. Connie lives in Shingle Springs, which is in the Sierra foothills. And she asks, Have you heard of the Yesberry plant? Can it be grown in Shingle Springs? If it can be grown, would it be worth it? Shingle Springs, again, in the Sierra Foothills is zone, USDA zone?
2: 9A. Okay. So that's the cooler part of zone 9. Right.
0: Which means the winter lows might get down to 30, 25 or 30. Yes. Something
2: like that. Maybe even 20.
0: Yeah. Interesting about the Yesberry plant, if you uh, look it up, It is recommended for zones three through seven.
2: Right. I found some references that said three through eight, but nobody said three through nine. Right. Which means it's too hot in Shingle Springs for that plant. And yes, it can be too hot for a plant to grow.
0: Exactly. And we're not talking about going through an age of global freezing. It's global warming. So chances are Shingle Springs will never be able to grow the Esberry plant. Right.
2: So, the, a couple of things happen if you have a plant in a location that's too warm for it. One is that it doesn't get enough chilling. This is a, uh, the yesberry is a blue honeysuckle. The, its Latin name is Lonicera, which is the honeysuckle genus. Cerulea, which means blue. Hmm. But blue honeysuckle. So it's, but it's a shrub, not a vine. Many honeysuckles are vines. And it is a perennial. And it does go into some sort of dormancy for the winter. That's, Let's survive that those lower, colder zones like zone three. And in order to satisfy dormancy and grow the next spring, it has to have a certain amount of cold, chilling hours, they're called. And I won't go into how they're calculated, but each USDA zone has a different amount of chilling hours. The warmer zones, which are the higher numbers, have fewer chilling hours than the cooler zones. And so if the plant does not receive enough chilling hours, it won't come out of dormancy. I saw it in real life one time and the plant, it was a small fruit tree. I want to say some kind of a cherry. One branch came out with all flowers and then the flowers did nothing, didn't get pollinated mm-hmm. and fell off. And then it had a few leaves scattered around the, the canopy of the plant and then the plant died. It, it's not a good thing. It It just will not come out of dormancy. The other thing that happens is it's so hot, the plant just cannot pump water fast enough, long enough, hard enough to the ends of the of the branches. And so it just scorches in the heat and dies back that way.
0: But certainly zones uh, six and seven, I would think, would have in the summertime a few 100 degree days. Yes. But they're few. Yes.
2: Yes. And they tend to be. moister places. Right. That's
0: what I was thinking that the zone six and seven, especially might have some humidity there in the Midwest.
2: Right. I lived in uh, Long Island, New York, which is just east of New York City. That was a zone six. Uh, And I lived in New Jersey. That was a zone seven. And both places have rain year round. Yeah. They get like 40 plus inches of rain a year. However,
0: if uh, you do live in those zones, I would try the yesberry just because uh, the fruit. It looks like an elongated blueberry. This particular yesberry uh, from Proven Winners is the yesberry maxi Japanese Haskap, and they describe it as a truly tasty berry that just about anyone can grow if you live in zones three through seven, maybe three through eight.
2: And much like blueberry, when other references I checked talk about the health benefits of the of that fruit. So uh, a nice uh, blue fruit often has uh, things in it that, that are healthy for humans. Mm-hmm. I have known
0: people, though, who have tried to get around that chill problem that we have here, the lack of chill, and especially the peony growers, who during the winter would surround their plants with ice cubes. Ice cubes, right.
2: There are two kinds of peonies, but peonies often die back to under the ground. And a plant that, that remains has parts that remain above ground. The place that the cold is uh, uh, felt by the plant is the buds, the growing buds. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to put ice cubes on each bud. (laughs) (laughs) Cover it with ice cubes. Right. Surround it with a... uh, I saw the athletes at the Olympic trials in Eugene, Oregon... Uh, wearing um, ice vests. Yes. So we need an ice vest for the dormant uh, yasberry plant. All right. You're giving people ideas now. <laughs> well, right. you know, yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. Okay. But the yasberry, if,
0: if you live in especially zones, USDA zones three through seven, you might want to give it a try. It, it certainly sounds uh, like it would be a taste treat. Uh, now, in, in Connie's case, all she would have to do is just move up the hill a bit shingle springs is at about a thousand feet elevation and you drive a half hour and all of a sudden you're at four thousand or five thousand feet Mm -hmm. so it would work there it would work there yes all right thanks connie for that question and thank you debbie flower for helping out here you're welcome fred garden basics comes out every tuesday and friday it's brought to you by smart pots Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it. And according to proven winners, uh, one of the marketers of the Yesberry plant...
2: Well, that seems to be a particular cultivar called Maxi.
0: Yeah, Maxi. The Yesberry Maxi Japanese Haskap. They say it's a truly tasty berry that just about anyone can grow. Just except about. Except us. <laughs> yeah. Just
2: about. Yeah. What is a Haskap? I was just going to look that up. Okay, we'll wait on that then.
0: I'm sure it's something very interesting.
2: I'm not sure I spelled it correctly. H-A-S-K-A-P. Okay, I put in a c. Yeah. I wonder if I could use it on Words with Friends. They don't take Breba... It's name of the Ainu language in northern Japan.
0: So it's not referring. It's not botanical in any.
2: No, it's a place. Oh, so never mind. <laughs>